Sometimes the most memorable stories we carry with us from military service were just the product of the branch of service we were in or the deployment we were on and the crazy stuff that happens when people with a mission and a common cause live in close quarters. And sometimes after our time in the service, we're lucky enough to find careers not too dissimilar to that with missions and with common cause for us to rally around. When we're lucky like that, we can continue to share stories of our shared history and experience and support one another through a bond that goes beyond the workplace. Jones Lang LaSalle and JLL's VetNet Business Resource Group brings you the MidWatch podcast in an effort to tell those stories and share that experience and build connections across generations of veterans at JLL and our broader community. And now the host, of the Midwatch Podcast, Dan Ediger. Hey everybody, this is uh, Dan Ediger with the Midwatch Podcast. Glad to have everybody on board for our first episode here. And we have a very special guest um, that I'll be introducing here in a second. Really looking forward to, as a, as a team here at JLL, as a team of veterans and a team of JLL employees to share some stories and uh, learn from each other and and see where the team goes. So without uh, further ado, I want to introduce our guest for today, uh, Randy Nisnik, based out of Chicago. He's on the uh, on the FM side of things. I'll let him provide a little bit more of an introduction. Randy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Uh, just to get into things, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you're up in Chicago. I know I know you're on the FM side of things, but can you give me a real brief description of uh, what you do for JLL? We'll come back to it at the end, but kind of give us an overview of what you do with the company and uh, what you like to do in your spare time and family, anything like that? Sure. So I'm with JLL I'm on account, as we like to say, on the FM side of things. I am the regional facility operations manager for my current client, where I manage a portfolio of about 10 buildings including their corporate campus, which are two mid-rise buildings, 10-story and 6-story. And then I have a, an industrial site as well. And then I have a couple other buildings that kind of remind me of what you would find on a higher education campus, right? It's two, two stories, three stories, kind of administrative buildings. They do a lot of training, a lot of training uh, classrooms in one of my buildings and a lot of business development, so on and so forth. But really the the, the key focus is the, the corporate campus. There's a 24-7 customer care center, which is the new way of saying call center, uh, the more politically correct way of saying call center, I guess. I uh, also have a 24-7 uh, data center that I oversee the critical assets for. So that's what I do currently. I've been with JLL. I was hired on in November 2017. Also a strong advocate for FM. I mean, for military veterans in the facility management profession, and then I also caveat that with the opportunities that we have here in JLL, which are substantial, right? They're just, there's so much opportunity right now in JLL, it's, it's mind-blowing. So outside of JLL and outside of advocating for veterans in the facility management profession, I am a, a family man of faith. I've been married to my beautiful wife of 18 years now. She uh, She has definitely driven me farther than I could have gone on my own. That is for sure. She uh, definitely helped me throughout my naval career and also with my 
what I like to say, career transformation from the military into corporate America. She helped me along the way and gave me the brutal, honest truth when I needed it and, you know, knocked the ego off my shoulder, if you will, when I needed it as well. So I have three uh, awesome kids. I have a 17-year-old son who has the performing arts music bug such as I. I was, I'm a drummer, hobbyist drummer. So he's in three different choirs, absolutely loves performing and singing. So that keeps us running. I have a 10-year-old son who he's more into the games and the video games and all that fun stuff, but he also loves science. So he's really intrigued on science, which that is, he's, he's my mini me. He's definitely my mini me. So a lot of the things he's interested in are the same things I was interested in back when I was his age. And then I have a beautiful six-year-old daughter who does what the girls do. She's into the oh, yeah. dance and the jazz and the tap, and she's in Girl Scouts. Uh, so that's that's pretty much me in a nutshell. That's awesome. This may you may have foreshadowed the answer to the next question here. Uh, I wanted to know if there's something crazy or ridiculous about yourself that we'd never guess. And I'm wondering if that's the, any drumming stories. You said you're a drummer. What's your crazy <laughs> drummer story? Not. Not necessarily a drumming story, but one thing that I don't know how crazy this is necessarily, but my wife gives me garbage about it all the time. I absolutely love smooth jazz music. And my <laughs> wife tells me it is old man music. Why are you listening to that old man music? Yeah. And I tell her it's not old man music. If you really listen to the drumming techniques of smooth jazz or just jazz in general, it's four-way syncopation, and it's just unbelievable what those drummers are able to do on the skins when they play smooth jazz or, or, or standard jazz. So I was raised, I was a headbanger. I listen to all genres, just to put that out there. I also listen to all genres. I listen to everything from drum and, drum and bass to jazz to heavy metal to classic rock. I listen to everything. But, man, I tell you, there's just something about smooth jazz. But my wife definitely gives me a razz in every single time I have it on the radio that I'm turning into an old man. Who's your go-to artist when you're uh, listening to music on your own? Oh, there's too many, you know, there, there really is, you know, when you, when you, when you, when you're into music and you play an instrument, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of pick from all different genres and, and, and meld your own uh, unique sound behind the kit. So yep. I don't really have a go-to necessarily. I just throw on Pandora, just depending on how I feel that day, I'll just put on Pandora and let it stream whatever genre. Like today, it's just been one of those days where I've just been in a drum and bass mood, drum and bass mode. So I just had drum and bass playing all morning just to yeah. keep me motivated. Um, you know, when I'm more mellow and chill, you know, then it's, then it's getting into the smooth jazz or if I need to calm down. Uh, those of us that work in facilities management know that your day could be turned upside down with one phone call. And yep. so sometimes you just need to decompress a little bit. So I may listen to some Santana, maybe some classic rock or something just to kind of mellow me out. But yeah, I can't really uh, pinpoint any specific artist. There's too many, too many great artists out there in the world, past and present. Uh, I was down in San Antonio uh, a week or so ago and went to a place called uh, Jazz Texas. And uh, listen to this guy who was going crazy on the drums, crazy in a good way. Uh, and man, it right. was impressive. So uh, <laughs> I'm with you. Let's jump into some veteran stories here. Before we get into maybe the story, story or stories that mean the most to you about your military service, could you tell us a little bit about how you got into the military, what you did, what your jobs were, 
to set up some things that really, uh, really mean a lot to you coming out of the service? Sure thing. So I'm definitely from a military family. My stepfather was in the Navy. My brother was in the Navy. My cousin was in the Navy. Uh, we had one cousin that went rogue and went Army. Uh, we don't talk about him too much. <laughs> right. God, just joking. Just joking. We all served honorably. Um, only a only a handful of us served the full twenty. Uh, most of mm-hmm. you know, my stepdad just did four years in Vietnam. My brother did eight years. Um, but nonetheless, uh, definitely a military family. And then, ironically enough, when I married my my wife, my her side of the family is heavy navy as well. So mm-hmm. just a lot of military and also uh, uniform services in general. We have a lot of law enforcement as well in our in our in our families. So. So back in the day, I was working in a press stamping tool and die plant with my stepdad. He was the one that kind of put the wrenches in my hand to begin with and taught me all I needed to know about various trades. But he was like, I do not want you working in this steel plant the rest of your life. Get out of Ohio, see the world, do something. And I did the Navy. I'm not forcing you to do the Navy necessarily, but I highly recommend you do the Navy. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) We don't have money to put you through college. I will say I wasn't a blue collar family. Nobody in, uh, in my immediate family went to college. So college wasn't even really a, a thought. Nobody had money for college. So it was, you know, figure it out. But I really don't want you to stay here in this plant. And I question, respected that. So I joined the Navy. There you go. Yeah. Question for you. Where, uh, where at in Ohio? Uh, just outside of Cleveland. Um, oh, cool. I lived in Seven Hills, Seven Hills, Ohio, which is, which is right near Independence in, in Parma. Yeah, you know, uh, so not only am I a, a Navy vet myself, uh, but also from Ohio. So we share that. Oh, share get that. out of here. <laughs> what part sure of enough, Ohio? Uh, south of Youngstown, out in, uh, out in oh, farm country. So, uh, small world, we'll, small world. So, so joined the Navy out of the Cleveland area. Um, what field did you get into? You, you, did you, right. you said you made it to 20, right? Sorry? You said you did make it to 20, you, you retired? Yes, I did 23 years total. Awesome. And uh, a so, CB. So tell us a little bit about uh, being yeah. a CB. Yeah, so I won't get into my – I will say this. So I my first year – I'm not going to get into the details, but my first year and a half, actually, I was on a ship. I was actually haze grade underway under a, uh, under a pilot program that the CBs really shouldn't have been a part of, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but anyway, it was awesome because I was able to get some haze grade and underway time. I learned a lot about the fleet side of things. I was on an FFG, so a small boy. Um, It was USS LROUD FFG 55. Um, So that was pretty cool. It was a great experience. You know, I'm glad I had that experience before I went into the CBs. But really, when I joined at the MEPS, I was joining to be a CB. I was not joining, uh, not to get into the military jargon. I was not an undesignated. I was Mm -hmm. actually joined and had my rate, UT. I was going to be going to A school. It was just delayed for a year and a half due to this pilot program. Yep. So my school was utilities men. So they, you know, in a neighbor, we call it a school, but really that's your trade school. That's where you're taught your trade, the, the basics and the, the fundamentals of your trade. So being a utilities man in the Navy, I just basically explain anything that runs in pipe minus electrons. So I didn't really mess with electricity too much, but, you know, HVAC, plumbing, water treatment, sewage treatment, boilers, pumps, compressors, uh, so on and so forth. So that's, I uh, went to school in Gulfport, Mississippi. Uh, I did 23 years, so I'm not going to regurgitate my whole career, but did two battalions. Um, did a, a, a construction battalion in Port Wyoming, California. Did a construction battalion mm-hmm. in Gulfport, Mississippi. And then I did a lot of great, awesome overseas duties. 
um, and then significant to building my interest in facility management, I was the facility operations manager for Bancroft Hall, which is at the U.S. Naval Academy. It's the yeah. world's largest single single dormitory. So very, very unique building. I, I wouldn't even really want to get into it right now, but it was a city inside of a building. It had everything inside that uh, one building. It was massive. So that was my introduction to facilities management. And then and then I did uh, five years. My last five years, I was actually special programs with Department of State Diplomatic Security, basically running teams of CV technicians that went out and serviced and repaired and maintained all your access control, physical security systems for U.S. embassies throughout Europe. Yep. Um, and then I came back to D.C. and I ran operations for that unit globally. So I was basically running all operations globally for this unit that supported Department of State. State Department works really, uh, really interesting. I had a very brief uh, exposure to that. It definitely is different than just regular, quote unquote, military stuff. It's a really, right. really an interesting field to be in. Uh, now, you may, you can defer if to tell us in your stories, but uh, you clearly went on some cool deployments. Uh, unless they're part of your stories, what are the cooler deployments that you got a chance to go on? So I wouldn't say cooler. <laughs> so the most impactful... Um, so I would say this, I will say that the most impactful deployment to me as a leader, both professionally and personally, was when we were called out and I was operations chief, overall in charge of running operations for disaster recovery after that massive Indian Ocean tsunami of 2004. Oh, we yeah. went into the hardest hit area which was Banda Aceh, Indonesia. That was our area of operations. That was the hardest hit. So just real brief on that, the reason why that was the hardest hit was because that was nearest the epicenter of the tsunami. I don't know if that's what they call it. They call it an epicenter, but basically if you think of a hurricane, you have the epicenter, right? And that's where the most damage occurs. So for that tsunami, the epicenter was closest to Banda Aceh, Indonesia. So they had the most high, well, the, the highest loss of life. So I'm not going to get into details, obviously. Don't know my audience, but you can put two and two together in regards to what we saw and what we did. But what was so impactful about that is through all of the emotion that we experienced, every day that we landed inland and did what we were supposed to do, we were greeted with smiles by the locals. And you got to remember, these people, they lost. Their whole devastated <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, yeah right they were just in the midst of a complete annihilation but they still found reason to smile and i'm be honest i'm not the best at going around with a great glowing smile on my face every day but that really taught me the whole idea of what it really means to serve others and to really just help others in their most disparate of times so i'm not going to get too much into it but that was yeah. the most impactful uh, in my whole 23 year career, that by far was the most impactful as for me as a, as a leader and how I handle, you know, building relationships and, and customer service and all of those things that we do in JLL for our clients. I, I can imagine. And, uh, I guess I can almost hear it in your voice there that clearly you carry that with you now today, the, the emotion of what you saw, right? Most definitely, and you know we won't 
I won't go down that road necessarily, but yeah. um, yes, I, you know, it, it, what, what helps me is talking about it. So, I imagine. you know, kind of getting on a sidebar here, but that's, you know, one, one of the reasons why I want to continue to try to do public speaking, because that's kind of my story. And I relate that to, I relate that back to all of us that are in the service industry or the service profession of, and what it really means to serve, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a, such a simple word, but it's so profound when you bring heart into what you do every day. And it's not easy, right? We know it's not easy. Customers are not easy. Yeah. Clients are not easy. People are not easy, right? People can be difficult. But you really just, if you focus on why you're there and what we do day in and day out in regards to JLL and what we do for our clients, it just helps to, to keep things in perspective. I, I agree. And uh, what I hope, where I hope this podcast goes going forward is one kind of exposing other military veterans working for JLL to kind of the broader community, because we all share those really unique opportunities that we had to make a difference, you know, like, you know, being 18, 19, 20 years old, put into situations where it's true life or death and true, and not even just life and death, but impacting people to the degree that you saw there, uh, that's unique. Not everybody gets a chance to do that. So I want to connect us as a community, but also tell our stories to the rest, you know, the broader JLL community and whoever listens to this podcast, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, kind of the humanity of, of us and what we learned and what we did and all that. So I'm really looking forward to, to hearing how people connect with the stories that we tell. Exactly. And I would hope, I would hope that it also helps to overcome, you know, JLL is a great organization. We have fantastic people, but we still have those stereotypes, right? And yeah. everybody still thinks that the majority of veterans saw war. And that's actually quite the opposite. You know, the majority of us maybe maybe didn't see war, or at least didn't really see uh, straight up combat. Um, yeah. So the talk about the disaster recovery and all these other things, great things that we do around the world. You know, not to you know self pride myself on the Navy yeah. Seabees, but that's Navy Seabees bread and butter is disaster recovery and, and building hospitals in underdeveloped countries and 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 drilling wells for underdeveloped countries so they have fresh water for their communities. You know, that's all the stuff you never hear about. Um, and when I talk to people and I tell them all that, you know, and then they say, well, were you ever in war? Well, I was in Desert Storm, Desert Shield. But no, I wasn't in the Global War on Terrorism because when we were supposed to go to Fallujah, mm-hmm. it was right at the time that tsunami hit. So as you know, you know, things yeah. changed just like that. So we had our marching orders to go to Fallujah and then all of a sudden that tsunami hit. And it was like, oh, we're not going there now totally switch gears from going to combat to going into disaster recovery. That's a whole different mindset and a whole different approach that you have to have, especially when I was the operations chief, I had to get my, my team of 50 CVs engaged. Well, I will be interested to hear clearly that has a huge, uh, that experience had a huge impact on you to this day. Interested to hear what other stories you have and kind of in short here, uh, what we're trying to do here with the Midwatch podcast is about us connecting through the power of storytelling. And I wanted to hear, you know, your stories, whether they be, you know, dramatic and harrowing, kind of like what that sounds like that is uh, definitely life and death, or sometimes it's the silly stuff that happens that connects us maybe even deeper than the, the more uh, difficult situations that we've been in. So interested to hear, Randy. Tell us if you have another story or two, what jumps out at you about your 23 years of service? What meant the most to you in serving your country? I can't think of anything 
I can't think of any good silly stories that would be Jew rated, so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, let's talk leadership. Let's talk a little bit about leadership because JOL has some phenomenal leadership in its organization. So here's a little story. I'll try to make this short and sweet. So you served in the Navy as well. So we always have the one group, right? We always have the one sailor that always gives grief. They're always showing up late. They have problems. So I just made chief E7 um, in the Navy. Just made it. I was the first year chief right out of the gate. And I had a problem, CB, that my fellow chiefs were like, just send them the mask, send them the mask, be done with it. Why are you wasting your time? But there was something about that person that I did not want to give up on that person. I really did not want to give up on that person. They were struggling with the bottle. They were struggling with addiction. And I knew if I sent that person the mask and basically just wrote them off and let them get kicked out of the Navy, their life would have spiraled down big time. And I just wasn't comfortable with that. So one thing with the Chiefs mess is it's a very strong, tight organization. Yeah. And when you got senior chiefs and master chiefs coming at you as a first-year chief and saying, Randy, you're messing up. Do not spend any more time on this individual. <laughs> I fought back. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not giving up. And I didn't give up. And we never sent that person to captain's mask, which is basically disciplinary action in the Navy. So fast forward a few years. I got out of the, I retired. Uh, this person obviously didn't stay for a career. They, they got out when their enlistment was up. But it was probably about two years after I retired, out of the clear blue, I got a Facebook message from this person who basically said in a nutshell, thank you for never giving up on me. Yeah. I, want to let, I want to let you know that I'm over my addiction. I'm going to college. I'm getting my bachelor's in business administration. I got my life together. I left all of those negative influences, i.e. friends, boyfriends, whatever, that were impacting that person to go down the wrong path. That, that, was, that was a strong testimony to, you know, being a leader and you just can't give up on your people. You, you can't give up on your people. It gets frustrating. It's difficult. But if you see something in somebody, you may be their only voice of reason yeah. to to get them out of whatever they're in so yeah it's it's funny you mentioned uh in in service in military service you sometimes get the opportunities to do really you know uh, uh things that change you know global kind of change things but the other thing is you get an opportunity to lead people like you're talking about there and actually specifically and tangibly change somebody's life and, and, you know, that's what jumps out at me when you say that is it was, it was your influence and your positive uh, influence that, uh, that made such a change. That's a, that's a really big deal. I appreciate, appreciate hearing about that. Any other, uh, any other stories that you want to share with us? Other than that, I think networking, right? So I know a lot of veterans are probably going to be listening to this podcast. So the strength of networking is so vital. So you know, kind of switching gears again here. So when I was at the Naval Academy, we actually hosted the 2007 Peace Conference with mm -hmm. Condoleezza Rice, President Bush, and all these uh, dignitaries came in. So the back security was involved with that. So a team came in, and there was a, a Marine captain, prior Marine captain, who was now a, a civilian, well, I mean, Foreign Service uh, security agent working with the back security. And I worked with that person, like, hand-in-hand -hand before 
during and after the event because there's just a lot of things we had to do within that facility to make it ready for this huge, huge event. And um, so that person wanted to hire me on a spot. I think I was about 12, 13 years in the Navy at that point. So I was like, no, I'm riding this out. I only got like seven more years to go. I'm going to 20. I'm, I'm, I'm still having fun. I'm not ready to, to pull the plug. So he's like, okay, that's cool. You know, and, and I did. And so it, one thing about that special program that I did with security, it's a very tight unit. It's a very small unit. And you pretty much have to know somebody to get into it. I was trying to get into that unit for years and I just could never, I could never get in. Yeah. I never knew anybody. So this person was like, okay, so what are you planning on doing? And I was like, well, after this, I don't know. I said, but I do know that the Navy Seabees have a special unit with diplomatic security. You ever hear of the unit? So in a, through our conversation, he's like, I've heard of them, but I don't work directly with them, but I've heard that Navy Seabees support us. That was about the end of that. So we got through the event. We got through the peace conference. And then probably about four or five months later, I get an email out of the clear blue from the operations chief of that naval support unit for diplomatic security, basically saying, we got your name from, and I, I, I feel bad, I don't remember this Marine captain's name now, but he's like, we got this email from this Marine captain who now works in diplomatic security. He highly recommends that we bring you on board. And that's how I got in. Right. So it was through that conversation and that networking and, you know, that's how I got into that, that special program unit. And, you know, so there you go. You never know who you're going to meet and you never know who they know that can make yeah. things happen for you. So always be on your A game. I talk about personal branding a lot with veterans, you know, how you present yourself, how you carry yourself, how you conduct yourself. You always want to make positive impressions with everybody you meet because you just never know when you may get an email five months after the fact from somebody in a clear blue that says, hey, Jill or John sent me an email and highly recommended you. Let's talk. So very cool. Yeah, especially you mentioned the uh, the personal brand thing. That resonates with me as well because uh, a lot of folks transition out of the military and aren't in touch with what they look like to an employer you know, in, in building a story about what you are, because you're not going to probably fit exactly into the same field that you were doing. So what it is that you are, you know, your connections, your experience and making a story about yourself and saying, this is what I am and this is how I can be of service to your company. So that really resonates with me when you say that. So I wanted to talk a little bit here as we're getting towards the, uh, towards the end of the podcast about more about what you're doing now. So maybe if you can kind of combine a couple of things for me. One, what are you most passionate about? I think I might be able to guess listening to your, your couple of stories there, but uh, what are you most passionate about? What gets you up out of bed and how are, how is that playing out for you in your career with JLL? Sure. So I have a lot of passions, you know, so personal and professional, you know, personally, obviously it's all about the family after serving 23 years and doing numerous deployments. My wife went through six deployments, seven deployments with me. Um, so making up for lost time with my wife and children, um, that's a passion of mine, definitely. Um, and then mentoring and talking with military veterans and helping them with their own uh, career transformations. I know I keep saying career transformation. I just think that's a much more accurate description than military transition. I just, it is a transformation because you go through change and it, it requires a lot of heavy lifting to make it work and, and be successful. 
so so how I bring that passion to JOL and to my clients, really it's about that service. I, I think all of us that are in the facilities industry are, for one, let's, you know, the way things are nowadays, one thing that I, I, I say a lot lately is we are all in the hospitality industry. It is no longer just for those that are in healthcare or hospitals or, uh, or uh, hotels or restaurants. We are all in the hospitality industry because people want those same creature comforts in their workplace that they have at home. And they want that hotel experience in their place of business, which is totally different than the mindset we had, you know, five, 10 years ago, where you just came into work, you did your work and you went home. They want an experience, right? So being a part of being able to enable our clients to bring that experience to their employees, help them build up their, their brand and their culture and, and all of those things that are involved with managing the built environment is what I'm passionate about. I, I love learning about, you know, it's more than just, you know, it's the old cliche now, it's kind of getting old, but it's it's more about you know, we're over the fact that we're just take, keeping the lights on and, and keeping people warm and cool and, and all that. This is like, you have to really begin to really bring holistic thinking into what you do when you're managing the built environment. It's no longer the day-to-day uh, reactive stuff that we deal with. I mean, we still have it, right? We still have elevators that get stuck. We still have air conditioning units that, that break down. You still have to deal with that, but you have to think holistically now, and you really have to think about your, your customers, your employees, your client, your, your people that you're around with every day. Uh, you know, I love to observe and see what people like and what they don't like about their built environment and the surroundings around them. I really do like uh, biophilia. I, I have an environmental management degree, so uh, having that environmental management degree actually has played well into my uh, my position in facilities for uh, various things, sustainability and so on and so forth. But I really like the whole concept of biophilia, which is bringing the outdoors in, having plants in your workplace. Um, the right plants actually work as uh, air cleaners, if you will. They actually help clean the air and cleanse the air. So that's that's what that's really it. it's about the people you know and like i said i don't have it right every day you know and, and both of the people that are on my team currently would probably say yeah randy you're definitely not walking around with smiles every day <laughs> um you know i don't get it right every day you know we're not disney you know I, I wish i could get to the level of disney workers i mean everywhere you go at disney they all are smiling they're all having the best day of their life right, right. it's like man how do you keep that going <laughs> you know <laughs> so i'm still working on that i'm not gonna lie i'm still working on that you know there's sometimes where everything's being thrown at you all at once and you just kind of get grumpy i'm not gonna lie um but it's really is you know knowing what my teams and i do day in and day out that helps serve our employees that come into work every day is really what what gets me up in the morning well, I love I love the the passion that's coming through on that, and maybe to put a fine point on it, I'll see uh, where you go with this. Just to wrap that thought up, you've seen all the various facets of JLL that we work with on a daily basis, and the services we bring to bear for our clients, et cetera. If you had one or two things that you could tell the rest of our the the JLL team about how to do what it is that you're passionate about, that service and those kind of things, what's one or two tangible things that maybe people could do on a daily basis to, to hit those same notes that you're talking about? Keep in mind the bigger picture. Know your clients. Know their frustrations. You know, 
sometimes the client, they may be going through their own internal transformations. You know, every, every company right now is going through some sort of transformation, either if it's digitization, if it's organizational change, everybody's going through some kind of a change. So keeping your pulse on your client and what's happening will really go, will help you go a long way because you can be empathetic to what they're experiencing and what they're going through. So when they come down, when they come at you hard about something that may be to you seemingly not such a big deal, but to them, it's like catastrophic. Yeah. If you're mindful of, Hey, why is this person being so crazy about this? You know, a lot of it could be because there's some massive change going on within the organization and this person is just concerned about what's going to happen with them or their department. So I think that's probably one of the things, you know, you just have to really know your client. And I think that's where it helps when you're actually on account and you're embedded with your client. Like I am every day, (laughs) day in and day out. I'm, I'm with my client and I'm in the building every day uh, for the most part. So I'm able to keep a, you know, kind of a pulse on what's happening within the organization. And then, you know, flipping that to JLL, keeping up with what's happening with JLL. I mean, I apologize, Dan, I don't know how long you've been with JLL, but just in the short two years that I've been with JLL, an astronomical amount of change is happening. Um, yeah. and it's hard to really keep up. And then you have to, not only as a, as a manager and a leader, you not only have to keep up yourself, but then you have to engage your team and make sure they're keeping up with the rate of change that's happening with JLL. There's just a lot happening, but I think it's all great things that are happening. I'm, I'm excited, totally excited about what's happening with JLL and some of these new catchphrases that are coming out. You know, we're a technology company that's focused on real estate or, or something along those lines is what they're speaking now. I think that totally changes the narrative of what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and I, I'm really excited to see where this, where this ends up over the next few years. Well, wholeheartedly agree here. I was just thinking, uh, as you were talking about kind of reflecting your customers' needs and your clients' needs in how you do business, we just spent, you know, a half an hour here talking about stories. Maybe one thing you can do is think about your client in the form of a story. Where are they at? What are they struggling with? What do they need us to do? And if you can tell that story, you know, if you can make that story make sense to yourself and you can tell your team that story, then maybe you can be very effective in kind of meeting them where they need you, right? So stories, right? Exactly. And uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm just behind. You've only been here about a year and a half. So you're just uh, oh, okay, cool. a little bit longer. Well, uh, winding down here, coming to the end of the podcast, uh, Randy Nesnick, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here. I really, really do. Uh, this being our inaugural podcast. Uh, it's been, been fantastic hearing about you and your stories and your service. And now what you're doing with uh, Jones Lang LaSalle. Look forward to staying connected with you. Uh, you're on LinkedIn, right? I think of, we're now connected on LinkedIn, correct? Yes. So yes. if people want to uh, to reach out to you there, I'm sure they can connect uh, there. Any other social media that you uh, you you want to other people to know about? <laughs> yeah, so it's funny you mentioned that, right? So one thing with, you know, I'll put this out for the veterans more than anybody. You know, you don't have to be on every single social media platform. Right. So I've played around with all the different social media platforms. You just got to see what works for you and your personality and what you enjoy, right? So I, I tried Twitter and I was doing the tweet, but it just didn't do it for me. I tried Instagram, just didn't do it for me. I actually jumped on TikTok for a while and I was like, <laughs> this is just not, this is not me. 
Um, Did so you really, dance honestly, for me, it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's just, it's just not me, right? So you have to know, you know, don't you don't have to be on every single social media platform. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. That's that's my bread and butter. Uh, you can find me on Facebook too. Nothing to hide there. Um, but really, LinkedIn is my bread and butter. I feel that's where I have the most breadth and reach for doing what I do kind of outside of JLL with the veterans and everything. Um, it's still just a great professional platform to link up with other awesome professionals and, and, and build that network. So definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn or if you're a JLL employee, hey, just find me in the gal and shoot me an email. Absolutely. And again, Randy Nisnik, thank you so much for being with us. I look forward to staying connected and building the Midwatch podcast community with you as a part of the team. Please stay in touch. And I'm sure we'll be speaking again soon. Thanks, Randy. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Jones Lang LaSalle's The Midwatch Podcast with Dan Ettinger. Look for us on the web and social media, and please share with friends and family. Thanks for your support. Like us wherever you listen to this podcast and stay tuned.